0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. We're going to be looking at God's instruction through Moses to a group of people who are coming out of 40 years in the wilderness into the Promised Land, a new beginning, a new start. And what was on God's heart was how the parents, particularly the dads, would be influencing the next generation for Jesus Christ, the call to be faithful men. And here's how God put it to Moses in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children." Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray for a moment. Father, I want to thank you for this Father's Day, a day where across the land we are able to remember the dads, who are still making such impact in our lives. And I know that whether we are gathering here in Brentwood or whether we are down at the Antioch campus or whether today we're entering into thousands of homes here and around the world who are with us right now with this live stream, I'm praying today, God, that you will speak to all of us, but particularly to us as fathers. And you'll help us to recognize today that it's never too late to give our lives to you, God, to be a faithful man, a man through which you will work to make an impact on the next generation. And we thank you, God, for all that you'll show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. To be successful in a relay race, you have to pass the baton, but it isn't easy and it isn't automatic. I was reading a piece by Brian Wilkerson reminding us of the 2004 Summer Olympic Games in Athens, Greece, when the American women's 4 x 100 relay team was favored to win the gold medal. They were the fastest in the world. If you remember, the team featured Marion Jones, a sprinter who had won four gold medals at the previous games in Sydney. The American team was already off to a strong start when Jones took the baton for the second leg of the race, and she actually gained ground in her 100 meters. And as she approached Lauren Williams, the young speedster who had run the next leg, Williams began to run, and Jones drew near. She put out the baton, and Williams reached back, but they couldn't complete the handoff. Once, twice, three times, Marion Jones thrust that baton forward, And Lauren Williams tried to grab it, but she could not get her fingers around it. Finally, on the fourth try, they made the connection. But by that time, they had crossed out of the 20-yard exchange zone, and they were disqualified. Everyone knew they were the fastest team in the world. The night before, they had had the fastest qualifying time. But when they couldn't complete the handoff, their race was over. You know, when I was reading that article, being reminded of that race, which I believe I saw, as many of you did, in in many ways, I was reminded that parenting is a lot like running a relay race. Parents are called to run the race of faith with Jesus themselves. But the real measure of our success is how we pass off that baton of faith to the next generation. And it isn't easy, And it isn't automatic. It involves faithfulness to the right things day after day and allowing the life of Christ and the difference that Jesus makes to be impressed over time to the lives of our children. That's why as a new generation of God's people approached the promised land under Moses, God reminded that generation of parents about the importance of living faithful to God and passing on that love of God to the next generation. Deuteronomy is a book of review of Israel's history, primarily their history in the desert, 40 years of wandering due to their disobedience. But it's also a call to faithfulness as they have a new beginning coming into the promised land with a whole new generation. And God told them in verse 1, these are the commands, the decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. You know, it's been said before that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. Knowing that is why God warned the people to be careful how they lived and to not forget God as they were coming into a land flowing with milk and honey. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 10, God said, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. Vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You hear what God's reminding them? You're about to come into a promised land. You've had 40 years in the desert, and with you are coming a whole generation of children who are gonna come into a land and live in houses you didn't build, eat crops you didn't plant, drink out of wells that you didn't dig. And over time, when these kids have so much provided for them and they, and they aren't told and reminded who the one is that provided all this, who the one is who really sustains you, who the one is that helps you with all of these things, if you don't remind them of this, they're going to forget God. And they're going to move away from dependence upon God to focusing on the things God provides without even knowing that he is the provider. So, he said in verse 20, in the future when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as it is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So God told the people through Moses in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength these commandments that i give you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates this was for all the people But particularly, as we learn from the scriptures, it was for the fathers who are called by God to be the heads of their households, which is why God told the New Testament believers through the apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord because as God reminded Moses, God is calling us to be faithful men who will impact each generation for Christ. How are we to fulfill that calling? God said, by loving God ourselves and by impressing that love on our children. We fulfill God's call to be faithful, faithful men, by loving God ourselves. Moses said in verse four, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. We are to love God, and that love is to be real. You know, I came across an article entitled Introducing Christ to Your Child. And in this article, it was telling about research that's been done over the last 50 years of the factors that help most children to want to know Christ and to live for him. And what I read there was pretty revealing. It said, in American culture today, most young adults follow Jesus Christ because they've following Jesus Christ have come out of a non-Christian home where they were converted to Christ in their teenage years through a dynamic youth ministry. or they come from homes where they grew up in love with Jesus because mom and dad were so in love with Jesus that that love permeated their lives it passed through their pores very few believers come from homes where there was kind of an indifferent apathetic half-hearted commitment to Jesus he went on to say it's sobering and thought-provoking to suggest that an american culture The chances are better for a child growing up in a non-Christian home to become a Christian than for a child growing up in a home that has an indifferent, apathetic commitment to Jesus Christ. That's why God told Moses to tell a whole generation, make sure that the love of God permeates the parents. god was calling the present generation entering the promised land to love god sincerely and completely Hear, O israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength these commandments that i give you today are to be on your hearts they are to be on your hearts that phrase, love the Lord your God, is a Hebrew word for genuine affection, a longing for God, a desire for him that shows. You know, can always tell when a man really loves something. You can always tell when a man really loves something. You can tell by the way they talk about it, by the priority that it has in his life, by what occupies his thinking by what drives his desires, by how he wants to spend his time. God is calling men and women, too, to love him. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. With all your heart means with your whole self, with your mind, your will, and your emotion. With all your soul has to do with all that is truly you. It flows from within. It's your very being. You don't have to work at this. This is what flows out of you. You love God. With all your strength, meaning fully, diligently, speedily, with all the drive and passion you possess, how are we to love God like that? What is God's love language? God told Moses it's obedience. Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. That's why Moses said in verse 1, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord the God of your ancestors promised you be careful to obey God told Moses and if you love me God said you will love my commands and you will obey them you know it's the very same thing that Jesus said to a group of disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper the night before he went to the cross John 14 verse 15 if you love me because I live you also will live and on that day you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them if you love me keep my commands Jesus said And if you do that he said i'm going to ask the father to give you the holy spirit so that you may know me even better and you may know my father better and you may know the love that we have for you better the holy spirit living in you is the key to the believers understanding of what living a life for god and loving god is really about and what god wants to see and what our kids need to see is what a man who really loves god looks like Guys, this isn't rocket science. The thing they need to see most is what a man who loves God looks like. How do they live? How do they talk? What do they do? You see, that's why Jesus said in John 14, verse 19, "Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me." Well, how are we going to see him? Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. God wants us to live with a love for him that's genuine is seen by the way we love and keep his commands. Then he said, I'll give the Holy Spirit in your life, and I'm going to manifest myself through you so that others can see who I am. You want to see more of Christ displayed in your life? Do you want your family? to you see more of Christ displayed in your life? I know I do. And God said, you love me then. love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength know god's voice listen to his word do what he says and jesus said i will love you and i will show myself to you you see that's why when jesus was confronted by the religious leaders who wanted him to boil down all the commands just to one if i'm only going to do one thing god what's it going to be And Jesus quoted from this passage, you remember? Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What's the most important command? Love God. And then love others. Everything hangs on this. Guys, the greatest gift you will ever give your family, the greatest impact you will ever make on the next generation is not how much money you make, or the titles that you carry, or the success you are in the world. It's not even how much time you spend with them. It's showing them what loving God really looks like. It's showing them what loving God and obeying His commands looks like. Remember, none of us are good at this on our own. We need God to help us, and he will. I will give you the Holy Spirit, he said. And no matter what our age or how much time we think has passed or how much time has been wasted or maybe it's too long since we've been an example or it's too late for me and my kids, it's never too late to start living for God and be a faithful man, a man to which God can work to impact the next generation. And not only loving God ourselves, but, Moses said, we fulfill God's call to be faithful men when we impress that love on our children. He said in verse 7, impress them, impress these commands of God, this love of God, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. People, when I became a Christian at age 25, I didn't know anything about God, nothing. And most things I discovered I believed about God were wrong. And I certainly didn't know how to be a Christian husband, nor did I know how to be a Christian father.
1: I wasn't raised with that example,
0: but God knew I wanted to learn, and so by grace, he brought into my life a man I've told you a lot about over the years, a man named Dr. Heath, who was a physician in Seattle. And he, along with his wife, Lillian, were two of the most godly people I have ever met. They raised seven children all of whom are walking with Jesus and serving him, grandchildren and great-grandchildren who are walking with the Lord. It's an amazing legacy. I spent a lot of time at their home in my mid-20s right after I became a Christian. I watched how they interacted with their seven kids how they lived day after day after day the things they talked about the priorities they demonstrated i saw how they utilized their home they had no television meal times were a significant time of conversation where I watched Dr. Heath and Mrs. Heath listen to about their kids' day, what they learned at school, and always tying that back to what God had to say about what they were facing. I heard them share about their own disappointments in their life and the struggles they had and how they were trusting God to get them through those things. I walked around their house, and I saw their walls plastered with pictures of missionary families they were praying for families in the church that they were praying for, maps of the world and different nations that they interceded for. I saw how a genuine love for Jesus is modeled for a family. And their example not only impressed those values into their kids, obviously, but those values were impressed into me. And you know, the funny thing is, I still remember that after witnessing all of that over time, I never once had a desire to be like Dr. Heath. But what happened to me is that I had a growing desire to want to be like Jesus. And you see, that was the beauty of the model they gave me. It wasn't about falling in love with them. It wasn't becoming like them. It was becoming like the Jesus they were in love with. And I saw firsthand how a husband and a dad lives to impress those things upon their children. That's what God told to Moses. You're coming into the promised land. you got a whole generation. It's a fresh start. God told Moses to tell the people to live in such a way that love for God and obedience to his commands was impressed upon the children. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. People, God knows that parents make an impression in the lives of their children. The question is whether that impression is an impression of him. Excuse me. Public speaking when you don't feel well is really fun. I'm sorry for all the folks on the live feed who get a slide feed to get a close-up of that. That can't be very good. Anyway, the question is whether or not the impression we make will look like him. God said impress them. You know, that word impress is very interesting. It's the idea like piercing. Working something under their skin. Penetrating them is the idea, inculcating them. It's kind of the idea of um, putting an indelible impression on the mind and heart and souls of your kids by living a consistent, frequent, and emphatic repetition of the very things that you love about God or that God is loving in you. Let them see how the love of God and the word of God permeates and influences every area of your life let them see that following jesus is not a lifestyle it is your life impress it on them not by force but by an irresistible and undeniable example how are we to do this he said impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. People, we don't have to be Bible scholars or trained theologians. We have to be willing to let everyday situations give us an opportunity to show our kids what loving God is all about. Impress these things on your children. How do you do it? By what you talk about. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. People, it's not just doing Bible stories and prayer times in the morning or in the evening when the kids go to bed. Those times are important. But it's what you talk about throughout the day. At the dinner table, taking the kids to school. Is Jesus part of our everyday conversation? Is it a natural part of what your family sees you talking about because it's a priority to you? Now, I'm going to share this with you, not because I do this so well, but I'm learning myself how to do this with another generation in our family with our grandkids. About a week or so ago, I rode to Bakersfield on a train with two of my grandchildren who are six and four. Carla was already in Bakersfield down there helping to take care of our new little girl, Eden, and helping out my daughter, Kelsey. And I was going down there to meet them because our other grandson was having a birthday. Five hours on a train with a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Now, you sit upstairs on these cars. The bathrooms and the exits are downstairs. So when we rode along, we were always trying to find things to do. So we would look out the window, and we would go up and down the stairs, and we would draw pictures, and we would go up and down the stairs, and we would eat our lunch and snacks, and we would go up and down the stairs. I kid you not, I don't know how many trips we made, but it was up and down and up and down. There wasn't anybody in that car that didn't know my grandson by the time we were done. (laughs) But we spent a lot of time talking. And what was interesting, we we talked about my childhood, about how I became a Christian. And they asked tons of questions. When you're six and four, they always begin with a why. Why, 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 why? And when you answer, it's well, why? And you give them another, well, why, 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 why. And you keep answering the questions because they're so inquisitive. And after a while, it's just, well, because because I, I'm out of answers. So I thought, two can play at this game, so I started asking them why questions. I said, you know what? Why do you think Jesus made the sky so blue? Why do you think God allowed people to figure out how to make trains? And I kept asking all kinds of why questions like that, and we had such a great conversation. We even talked about heaven, and we talked about hell. And we got a chance to talk about why, if you have Jesus in your heart, you don't ever have to be afraid to die. I didn't bring that up. They brought it up. And I always try to tell my grandkids when I have a chance to talk to them, they probably get sick of hearing it, I said, you know what? Mampa really loves you. I know. You tell us all the time. <laughs> and I said, you know what else? I really love Jesus. He means everything to me. And my six-year-old Levi said, um, I love Jesus too, Mampa. I know you do, Levi. I know you do. You see, something is getting impressed in them already. I see how my son and my daughter-in-law are impressing them. I see how my daughter and my son-in-law, Jeremy, are impressing these things upon their kids. I see how my wife, Carla, and my daughter, Kimmy, is impressing these things. How my daughter-in-law, Melissa's mom, Cindy, is doing it when she's with them. How a friend that comes over to their house named Janice, a friend of our family, is also making an impression for Jesus in their lives. And you know what else? I'm seeing how the people who are teaching in my grandkids' Sunday school are being used by God to impress these things into their lives. When they come out of that sunday school i'm asking them questions you should hear their answers it isn't that my kids are even going to my grandkids are even going to remember that train trip someday maybe they will maybe they won't it isn't even the things we talked about that day it's that that along with all the other little things that get impressed in them consistently by all these people who are engaged in their lives is what's impressing something on them that may never leave. It's impressed upon them. That's what Moses was talking about. And it isn't just by what we talk about. When you talk about them when you sit at home or walk along the road, when you lie down, when you're riding on trains, when you get up, Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's about what they see as the priority in our life. You see, the Jews then and still now actually used to take little boxes called phylacteries, and they would stuff them full of Scripture verses, and they would strap those things to their forehead, and they would bind them around their wrists, and they would walk around with these boxes stuffed with Scriptures. They literally did that, and they still do. The Orthodox Jews still do. But the problem is, like all of humanity, sometimes they thought, well, you know, if that's great, the bigger the box, the more spiritual I'll be, and pretty soon you've got these shoe boxes taped to the front of your head and your wrists stuffed with Scripture. That's not how it works. You're not more spiritual because your box is bigger. They would also paste the name of god over the top of their door frames and over their gates but you know what those can become just decorations you can have a house today filled with all kinds of scripture plaques and slogans and the people inside aren't living for jesus a bunch of things on your wall don't make the difference But when the things you display in your life and the things you display on your walls also match up with how you're living, then there is power in that. Because in the bottom line, it isn't going to matter what was displayed on your walls. What's going to matter is what displays in your life. Because preaching and teaching and telling kids how to live and how to obey God will only breed resentment and rebellion if they don't see it lived out in the people who tell them that. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 4 verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You know, that phrase in the Greek, live a life worthy, I've shared before is literally bring up the beam of the scale or bring up the balance of the beam is what it means. In other words, if you are professing that you love God and obey him, then bring up your life to match what you are professing. That's what he's saying. That's the worthy life. Our kids know the difference between what is just words and what's real life. Jesus said, if you're not careful, you can be like a whitewashed tomb. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside it's not real. He told Mark, in Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about hypocrites who do this. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Kids know the difference. They know the difference. guys I just want to say today none of us lives this perfectly we just don't all of us are hypocrites to a certain degree none of us lives completely for Jesus hundred percent of the time I've told you before that's why when I meet people in the community and I tell them where I'm from or where I go to church and I invite them to come they say ah you know the church is full of hypocrites I say you're absolutely right And I'm the chief hypocrite at Golden Hills and you know what else You're a hypocrite, too, so why don't you come and join us? You'll feel right at home. (laughs) None of us is living this perfectly. And you know, the good thing is our kids don't expect us to. They know we're not perfect. What they expect us is to be real. People, I can't tell you over the years how many times I've had to apologize to my wife and my kids when I didn't get it right, when I didn't respond right, when I didn't discipline them right, when my example wasn't the best. You know what? I've discovered that being genuine means that God will give you times to even demonstrate to your family what a Christian does when they blow it. You see, this kind of love for God and love for them can make an impression when they see it lived out, not perfectly, but genuinely, that Jesus is real, and loving and obeying him is the right way to live. And this kind of faithfulness not only prepares them to follow Jesus, but it helps prepare them for the many moments in life which they're going to have to face on their own with god you know in that same article i mentioned earlier introducing christ to your child it went on to, to, to tell in there the story about a young man named david Kraft who grew up in the bay area here his dad was a very godly pastor in the south bay David Kraft grew up with a father who constantly remembered God's faithfulness in the past so that David might trust God in all of his tomorrows. David grew up in love with Jesus, this article said, and he felt the call of God into the pastoral ministry, so he went to Denver Conservative Baptist Seminary. David was a big, athletic young man. At the age of 32, he was 6 feet 2 inches tall, weighed 200 pounds. He worked with a Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And also that same year, at 32, he was diagnosed with cancer, Racked his whole body. Over a period of time, he dropped from 200 pounds to 80 pounds. And when he was about ready to pass from this life into eternity, his dad came to visit him again in the hospital room. Lying there in the bed, he looked up and he said, Dad, do you remember when I was a little boy How you used to just hold me in your arms, close to your chest. Pastor Kraft nodded, yeah. David said to him, Dad, do you think you could do that for me one more time? So David's dad nodded. And he bent down in the hospital bed, and he he picked up his 32-year-old, 6-foot-2, 80-pound son. He held him close to his chest, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, and they were both crying. And the sons whispered to his father, Thank you, Dad, for building the kind of character into my life that able, enables me to face a moment like this. There are lots of things we can give our kids. But none will be greater than the gift of a faithful man who loves God and impresses that love upon his children. Guys, if you're like me, I look back over the years with my own kids and think, man, if I had a chance to do it again, I could do it so much better, I think. God reminds me, Larry, it was never you anyway. It was always me. It was always me. You see, that's why it's never too late. It's never too late. No matter where you are in your parenting, no matter whether your kids are grown and gone, whether they even talk to you anymore or anything, it's never too late to start living for God and being a faithful man who God wants to use to make a difference in another generation. And ladies, if you're in a home where you don't have a man who leads like that, it falls to you, and you know it. And you, many of you ladies are doing a tremendous job. But guys, I have to tell you, if you're still living and breathing, it's time for all of us to rise up and to be the kind of man that God can use to make a difference. I want to be one of them, and I know many of you do too, and maybe... That's the greatest Father's Day gift, not that we'll get, but maybe that we'll ever give. Father, I want to thank you today. And when everything is boiled down, you're not asking us to be perfect. You're not asking us to be theologians. You're not asking us to be Bible scholars. You're asking us to be real, to be men who fall in love with God, who obey His commands, And out of the genuineness of that life are used by God to impress that on another generation. Lord, these handoffs, these batons are not easy and they're not automatic. We can do it all right and still the baton does not pass. But as far as it be with us, help us to be the kind of men who are faithful, who will rise up and seize the day. And we'll thank you, God, in your precious name. Amen.